This proposed conference on love and sex with robots is illegal. Inspector General of Police Khalid Abu Bakar told a press conference in Kuala Lumpur, an action will be taken against the organisers if they go ahead. There's nothing scientific about sex and robots, and there are many laws we can use to close it down. It's an offence to have anal sex in Malaysia, especially with robots. <laughs> like, how is that on the book? <laughs> Date. Mostly bad news. He lost in Iowa, the Wait, Iowa caucus. Bad news for who? People who like what Trump is doing, but don't want to see him win. <laughs> for people like us, this was a bad week. Somewhat a bad week for Trump, because, well, he lost the caucus in Iowa. Yeah. And that's Iowa's white boy central. Yeah. It's, it's, that should have been his strongest. It's the first, it's the first marker of... Um, where he stands. And of where everyone electable stands, yeah. he is. And he lost to Ted Cruz. Ooh, so that was bad. Job. They're all nut jobs. On the way However, home. No, no. there yeah. was a positive. Donald Trump has been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Who nominated him? Who would I, have the sense to nominate him? We don't know the name, but there's basically, I think there's delegates. And I think there's hundreds and hundreds of delegates yeah. all across the world. And they get to pick who they put forward. And an American somewhere has nominated Donald Trump. I, I, I love the idea of going like, well... He brought in world peace because we all laughed at him together. It's all a communal joke, a world joke. He's been put forward for this due to what was, quote, due to his strength ideology. Essentially, he's basically talking tough on ISIS. He's talking tough on Turkey, China, Saudi Arabia. He's basically, he's a blowhard. So he's, he's all why. pump. Yeah, he's and a that, pompous blowhard. Hasn't done anything, but it doesn't matter if anyone does anything nowadays. It's all about what they plan on doing. It's what they sound like they're doing. It's all the PR spin of promise yeah. on it. That's why I don't get the idea of Obama winning the Nobel Peace Prize. Barack got one because George Bush's. He essentially got a Nobel Peace Prize, mostly due to the fact he wasn't George Bush. George Bush was like Donald Trump talking tough, you're with us or against us. It's a war, pick a side. As Barack came in, and said, no, 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 it's, it's counter-terrorism. We've got to stop invading. It's got to be something other than boots on the ground. And so, so what he did was drone strikes. <laughs> if you broke down the Trump phenomena, what is it he represents? Trump represents a non-capitulation. Just standing up for what you think, for what you believe. Just stating what your opinion is irreverently. You know? Well, I don't think he's being. Irre- Do you think he's being irreverent? You- Completely. You you think he knows he's in the joke? He's the joke. There is a possibility that it's this like- all could just be one massive joke that Trump's had it's on like- the American establishment. But I want to know if Trump knows he's doing it, or if he truly believes it and he's turned this character into do something you think, do you think it's a kind of almost coen brothers type thing where oh someone God, it's so coen brothers someone went to trump somebody approached trump probably a democrat right yeah someone probably approached him on a democrat side and said yeah look you should you should really run but no 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 not on a democrat ticket no 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 it's, Hil- it's hillary's turn she did she missed out on wait, the last wait, one have- it's her turn so how about you run in a republican ticket haven't you got a book to promote as well isn't the apprentice coming yeah. to the end soon isn't there, what are you, you gonna, gonna do another- what are you going to do now? Have you got another celebrity apprentice that you've got to promote? You I know? mean, oh, yeah, yeah. your daughter's beautiful and you want to hamper. You've said that many times. Yeah, I can see Trump but, uh, going like, do you know what? Presidential elections, those get 20 million viewers. This is the greatest marketing tool of all time. Do you know what he did? He watched the movie Bruce's Millions. Yeah, but I think... And decided to do that. 
But it obviously, in the Cohen brothers' sense, it's gone horribly wrong. He's bitten off way more than you can chew. But oh, yeah. he's become, like, he was a lot more popular than anybody anticipated. And so he's coming out with these ridiculous statements because he's like, oh my God, I don't, look, I, don't, I just wanted to sell a book. I don't want to actually run the country. So he's coming out with all these ridiculous statements. I know, I know. I'll say no Muslims, not a single Muslim can come into the country. And they've... He's saying what we always thought he would say. 30,000 people in a stadium are just... We're not gonna take it. (laughs) He's trying his best to get himself thrown off. (laughs) Okay, look, I'll I'll insult women to their face. I'll tell Mexicans that they're lazy immigrants and I'm going to build this massive wall so they can't even look into America, let alone get into America. You got everything just kept ticking up. The graph kept going upwards for him, his popularity. I swear he's going to do something about the Catholic Church soon. Because that seems to be like the next thing about like kitty fiddling. You're gonna like, I wish I think every child should be kitty fiddled a little bit. Just that's what gives them hair on their chest. If you were the arbiter of who gets the Nobel Peace Prize award, who would you nominate? Uh, Appreciate that's a tough question. That is a very tough question. I'm an idiot. I don't know anyone or anything. <laughs> you know what? I I don't know. I mean, Nobel Peace Prize is the Nobel Prizes are a little bit of a a wank fest. I mean, it's hard to pick an individual. I would rather get they just give it to groups rather than individual people because when you're giving it to individual people there's the cult of personality around it where they should really give it to groups like Medicine Sun Frontier Doctors Without Borders it should yeah. go more to groups like that but I think it could all the whole Trump phenomenon could just be one massive prank that a bunch of rich people are playing on the American establishment they don't like how whiny and drippy the culture's getting and so, so they picked like just a vile specimen but he ran but he ran he ran before and he lost amazingly yeah because he doesn't want to promoting a book as well because i said in the first episode i I was sure he's probably spending his own money that turns out that's not true yeah actually he's got like millionaire billionaire donors so trump was nominated another more worthwhile nomination is edward snowden leaker government leaker state secret leaker extraordinaire the uh russian consort and of course, his friend Julian Assange was in the news this week. Mm. A UN legal panel yeah. got together and they made this decision. Yeah, didn't he get off? Well, no. This is a kind of weird, ironic thing about this. It's a UN legal panel who have come yeah. to a conclusion that Julian Assange has been detained illegally. Oh, And that yes. he should be let go. Because he was detained in a British cell for, well, in, in solitary. For... No, he wasn't. He was, um, he was in Sweden and uh, he had... A sexual escapade with a woman in Sweden. Yeah, but... She accused him of rape. He had one interview with the Swedish police, but their system is you have to have two interviews. There's a first interview and a second interview. He did the first one. His lawyer... There's an email record that's been leaked where his lawyer in Sweden told him, you can't leave the country. You've only done the first interview. There's a second round. And then, most likely, there'll be lack of evidence, blah, 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 whatever, and you'll get off. And then I think less than 48 hours after that, he left. He came to the UK. Yeah, and the Swedish police tried to catch up with him in the UK, asked our police to arrest him so he could be extradited back to Sweden. And And that's when he ran into the Ecuadorian embassy. We held him. The British police held him. And the the thing is, they're complaining like they broke his human rights. No, no, you're thinking of Glenn Greenwald's boyfriend, Brazilian boyfriend, who went through Heathrow with state secrets on a USB stick. Uh, And they detained him for nine hours under a terrorism act thing. 
And I think, yeah, that was ruled that that was illegal. But with Julian Assange, he put himself into an Ecuadorian embassy. And uh, <laughs> okay. we told him, if you step outside, we'll arrest you. The moment you step outside, you'll be arrested and you'll be extradited to Sweden. And his defense was, oh, if I go to Sweden, the Swedish authorities will send me to America and I'll be executed in America because I was a member of WikiLeaks, blah, 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 blah. But that's all gibberish. America aren't after Julian Assange and they haven't been for years. Because they got Bradley Manning, now Chelsea Manning, they got the original leaker. There's nothing they can even get Julian Assange on. They realised they would have to introduce a new law to be able to go after Assange. But if they went after him because he helped leak state secrets, yeah. they would have to go after every journalist who's ever touched anything to do with state secrets. So uh, they realised okay. there's hundreds of journalists all around the world we'd have to try and prosecute. So they dropped it. So his defence no defense has been thrown out twice. This idea of, I can't go to Sweden because then the Swedes will send me to America. That's been thrown out twice but um this un legal panels made this decision Mm. but their rulings they're not legally binding at all no so it's a un it's a legal panel that can't make any actual legal rulings and it's just kind of what what's happened with the un since when was its remit to do anything like this other than just actually settling international disputes between sovereign nations like why are they trying to dip their beak into every little thing now trying to say how many cycle lanes your country should have and things like this (laughs) and it's like what the hell has that got to do with the un starts with language Mm. and then very very swiftly moves to behavior this is what we're teaching kids now yeah we're teaching kids what ideologies to adopt but we're leaving them bereft of any tools of i can take ideology x and y that compete Mm. with each other and actually figure out on my own which one appeals most to me which one i find the most compelling and we've deprived people of those tools yeah i mean i i wish i wish i grew up in an age of like where everything was on the table like i could have become an anarchist i could have become a, a communist i could have become a capitalist or something like that because i had nothing i mean like, to be honest to be honest i'd have no system backing me up yeah. i'd have to come to the decision myself and i'm a lazy bastard i'd become a surf <laughs> <laughs> in all honesty but i could have become something i I'm not following. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm saying we we live in an age where everything is. You've got to just be these three things. You're indoctrinated. Yeah, indoctrinated. Yeah, totally. And Whereas it's happening I, I, at a younger and younger yeah. age. And uh, this week we've seen an example of that with the latest line of Barbie toys that have come out, including what's been dubbed Curvy Barbie. Cur- is that what it's called? That's, that's what Mattel are calling it. Curvy. Oh my God. How many uh, think tanks did they get together? How many meetings did they kind of go like... That was a decision that took them three months. Oh, what it? do we yeah. call her? We can't... We look. Plus size Barbie. Exactly. Plus size Barbie. Robust Barbie. Curvy Barbie. BBW Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> take take a guess at what the kids call her. Yeah. There was a focus group with the little kids. The micro research on it, yeah. Yeah. And of course, they have moments where there are adults in the room. Yeah. And then they there are moments where the adults leave the room. When the adults left the room... And the tape was still recording. In, yeah. In the the language the children used to describe Curvy Barbie changed. Yeah. And when the adults were in the room, they called her Chubby Barbie. One girl didn't want to offend the Barbie doll. And she just <laughs> said she would spell out F-A-T Barbie like that. Yeah. She didn't want to be offensive. And then once the adults left the room, they were calling her Fatty Fat Fat. <laughs> <laughs> Fat Barbie. Oh, yeah. Uh, ugly Barbie Wait, was one. Look at her roots. Her. They're dyed, Barbie. And it just goes to show you, you can try and shove this stuff down kids' throats, mm. but even little kids will reject it. 
once they think they're not being watched, there isn't someone judging them. As soon as they think no, no one's no. judging me, no, I can be myself. They're honest about it. That's it's also, a fat Barbie. But that's also the problem with um, understanding change. This generation that have this Barbie first thrust upon them, it's an anomaly. Yeah. Next generation, where it is still in shops and it's still available to buy, it'll start to become normalized. I don't. I think. I think kids will forever refer to it as fat Barbie because that's exactly what it is. It's a fat Barbie. No, it is a fat Barbie because it's anomalous to the in quotation marks normalized size Barbie or the normal Barbie that has been no, around for generations. No, no, no. The reason why that doesn't work, why that won't work, right? Okay, is because it's relative to the other ones. Yeah. The only way you could eliminate that is to have every Barbie be a fat Barbie. I, and you don't think if this doesn't, you don't think that maybe that's a way of change. They might. No, start, I think. I think this. I think this is the same. Barbie, the fat Barbie, the one with the blue hair. Is it? Let's just call it. Let's call it what it is. It's, it's the hyper progressive Barbie made for the hyper progressive Barbie crowd. Are you sure? Are, yeah, guaranteed. I mean, I, I kids I, I, did not. There are no kids out there clamoring for an overweight Barbie. They I mean, don't in, give a shit. Right, it's fat women demanding Mattel make these Barbies to make them feel better and to make them feel like, oh, I made a difference. Yeah, I started a Twitter campaign. You, that you, you, I, I disagree with you. I would say, like, as we in the UK, Europe, and America, the Americas get fatter, that is becoming more of the norm. Yeah, but fatter kids. So still you have to you have to change it. No, it's still recognised as fat. Yeah, it's recognised as fat, but it's still becoming more and more normal. But why is that a problem? Because this is where the conflict is coming from, right? The people, the small vocal minority that who are demanding demanded the fat. this from Mattel. They, this small vocal minority that have demanded this fat Barbie, mm. right? They're the market for this Barbie. Like I say, little kids are not clamouring for a fat Barbie. It's the adults that want it but it's a tiny small vocal minority of adults that want the barbie it's not the little kids it's not going to change anything look I, I promise you little kids don't know what they want until it's bought for them or thrust in their face i swear to you if there was a solid campaign of fat barbie is the new hip kids will want it kids don't know what they want until they have it that's not true the kids are notorious for being such a hard market to sell stuff to everyone goes into it thinking oh you just put a bit of flashing lights on it and boom it sells like hotcakes no there's thousands of toys that are launched every year and go absolutely nowhere yeah because the exactly. kids are just what's the shit no no but it's they're the harshest critics of all time no there are thousands of toys the market is saturated that's why it's hard to break in when you have when you had a smaller market when you had say like 50 toys coming out a year it was easier to sell something yeah, to kids this, and the kids would just buy it because that's all they had now they have too much choice but you're gonna see curvy barbie is not going to sell you're gonna see a, an uptick in the early days where the collectors the adults and the small vocal minority that really desperately that hammered mattel to make this barbie doll they'll buy the first couple of batches and then you'll see sales drop because the little girls little boys that play with barbies they don't want curvy barbie they want pretty barbie i get to dress up barbie i get to do a hair barbie it's not a fad i'm saying it, i it, think it absolutely as will be. as the norm is to be fatter and have no I, I i think there's a there's an aspirational reach in children or adults i mean it's fucked up with adults as well where you're told that this is the perfect body you have to be you have to have no, you have no. you have to aspire the, to no 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 nobody so, ever looked at barbie and gone oh that's that's the perfect that's the body i want to have everyone's known since the 50s 
It's impossible to have that body. Barbie, if she were a real human being, her her neck would break, her legs would, her ankles would snap. Do you know what I mean? She would fall forward. Her breast is so out of proportion, she would be falling forward. Why Why do we have, say, uh, actors and actresses who have these bodies that don't make sense? And you know why they don't make sense? Because they don't keep those bodies past the movies they're in. What do you mean they don't make sense? Like the huge rippling uh, muscles or the tiny B-shaped bodies? That's what ancient Romans used to look like. They used to take real pride in how their bodies looked. Say a lot of Roman men would have pecs, would have six-packs. No. They wouldn't be like bodybuilders. Bodybuilding is obviously ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah, taking it to but extremes. They has- but they're in really good shape. They're really proud about it. And it showed your social status. It's what this represents, this fat Barbie thing. It's the fat acceptance movement. It's a movement of people saying fat is beautiful, which fair enough, that's a subjective thing. Mm-hmm. And then it's saying fat is healthy. And that's what... Actually, I no, draw the I, line. I, no, I, I disagree with that as well. Yeah, I draw the line there. Yeah, the, the fat is but not. That's what this fat is not. That's what this curvy Barbie is all about. And this is what you were alluding to earlier of accepting fat as normal. I'm not saying it's right by saying, but I'm saying that's how the market is going to monitor. That is how. But it's not. It's a vocal minority. It's not the market. This is the thing. This is the disconnection here. This doll will not sell. Well, I, <laughs> we, we'll, we'll table this, but I believe when I say in a couple of months' time, when we when we see like large Barbie now in homeowner type wear or something like that, there'll be a wider range of fat Barbies. It won't just be the like uh, warrior Barbie or something where it's just a one-off thing. It it's not a one-off thing. It'll be the new offshoot of what Barbie is. They'll still sell the normal one, but they will sell like a whole new range of. The fat Barbie. I reject Hervey Barbie outright because of the ideology behind it, which I think is wrong. I think it's logically wrong. And the greatest proof that I've ever seen of how what a ridiculous fast this fat acceptance thing is was this. There was a video. Uh, there was a campaign by these overweight women, plus size models, and they were saying, "Yes, uh, fat fat is perfectly healthy. Look at us. We're perfectly healthy." And then they did a photo shoot, and the main woman, the ringleader woman, she gets down on her knees to be so they could all fit into the photo frame, right? And then once the photos were done she was so overweight that she couldn't actually get up off the floor unaided she needed two people to come and lift her up off the floor what a farce i was gonna say we miss we are totally missing a point on the concept of fat as sexy it can be sexy but no no but i mean like but is it healthy i think this barbie doll Mm. is aimed at adults I don't think it's aimed at kids at all. And I think Mattel are aware of the fact that it's not going to be little girls. You're just saying they're capitulating. They're capitulating to a very vocal minority of adults, not little kids. Now, obviously, they've done this because their sales have been trending downwards for a long, long time. Um, Other desperate attempts include uh, Astronaut Barbie. um, (laughs) Totally knew you were going to say that one. Wall Street Banker Barbie was another one. (laughs) And it's all a desperate attempt to increase sales. It's not because they're part of this fat acceptance thing. Like you say, they're capitulating to it. I promise you, you're going to see it's not going to sell. It won't sell. Uh, And I would say we'll come back in a few months' time when they start bringing out fat uh, astronaut barbie <laughs> what what are going to be the fat barbie accessories uh, a hot dog a weight watcher card <laughs> the people who called for curvy barbie to exist in the first place don't think she's fat enough her belly doesn't protrude enough and it's what it goes to show is these vocal minority groups no matter how much you can see to them it's never enough you can never satisfy them and that's why the correct course of action is to say okay look these really these aren't our core customers at all they're just the latest morality mob 
and we should just ignore them. But you mentioned Ken. Yeah. Completely unchanged. Of course. No fat Ken. No uh, dirt poor Ken. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're divorced and he's doing better in the divorce. There's no uh, homeless soldier of PTSD Ken. Oh my God, I would buy that one as well. I would buy fat astronaut Barbie and a Weight Watcher Barbie. Yeah, there's no <laughs> addicted to my game console Ken. Oh, yeah, you know I mean, like, there's no uh, lack of aspiration, Ken. How brilliant that Ken would be! Like, it wouldn't have joints, uh, joints in the knees. It would just be perpetually sitting. Yeah, but what do you <laughs> think, little girls? Naturally, mum, mum's say mum's hyper progressive, and she buys curvy Barbie for her daughter with high hopes, mm-hmm. and she gives curvy Barbie to her daughter, and her daughter immediately comes to the conclusion that Ken would have nothing to do with curvy Barbie. No. She would really like Ken, and Ken would be doing his best, and she'd be acting it out like, oh, oh fucking hell. Here comes Kirby Bobby. <laughs> Do you feel like we're just overgrown children, basically? Yeah. I mean, the, the concept not, of arrested development, as they say. We're not, we're refusing to grow up, basically. Because we're, cause we're, we're, we're being sold the things that keep us in our step. Oh, don't worry, you, <laughs> you can't. You can't find love here by a sex robot. Yeah. As soon as virtual reality was even conceived, the second thought immediately after that was, I wonder what simulated sex would be like. As soon as someone invented VR, somebody patented VR sex. Do you know what I mean? Really? Oh, I promise you. Of course they did. (laughs) I mean, that... I bet the person that came up with VR sex was thinking the word virtual reality is going to be around forever. They're not going to think of any other word. The virtual. This is why VR didn't take off in the early nineties. We were. Do you remember we were at that age where virtual reality was pushed on us as the future of gaming? Do you oh, remember? We, yeah. I mean, the word immersive mm. was on the tip of everyone's. And there tongue. was that program with Craig Charles. The reason it didn't take off is because you couldn't have anything that was sexual that looked realistic. Like, who wants a woman with pyramid tits? I still wanted pyramid tits. Like three polygons to make up, yo, three polygons to make up both breasts. The graphics simply weren't good enough to do virtual reality pornography. And that's why VR didn't take off. The early adopters of new technology, it's always under the guise of how is this going to revolutionize pornography? And now in 2016, we're at the point where you can model a realistic looking woman using polygons. Mm. And now it's going to take off big time. And that's what we're seeing with a, we saw the headline this week. Sex robot with virtual vagina swamped with orders. Uh, a vagina swamped. I mean, that's just terrible language. Oh, God. We, oh, we're going back to language policing again. You can't use no, that kind of no, terminology. but I'm saying if you're an editor in that newspaper or something, you don't use the word swamp and vagina together. Yeah, I mean, look. That's not language a, policing. That's just common sense. But I, I honestly think this could be the future this could be the future of sex. Do you remember in Demolition Man, the Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes movie, 94, uh, 95? Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Do you remember that scene where he's, the headset. he's trying his best to get in bed with Sandra Bullock? Yeah. And she's up for it. But yeah. what Sylvester Stallone doesn't realize is she sex is, is completely yeah. changed. There is no physical interaction whatsoever. Not even kissing. It's cerebral. You can't even kiss in the future. Because <laughs> I think people today, how much, what percentage would you put on sex 
in the Western world, how much of it is pleasure fucking over procreation? Oh, oh, I mean, pleasure fucking has got to be 90%, a, at least. Yeah, pleasure, at least pleasure, pleasure fucking, as soon as you... Uh... We don't want to sound like right-wing Christian evangelicals here, but it's no. true. 90%, at least 90% of sex is pleasure fucking. But of course, there are dangers. There are STDs. Worse than that, you could have a kid. <laughs> The absolute worst STD of all time. Mm, Giving birth to an amoeba that takes all your resources and your money. That's where these VR headsets come in. You eliminate that possibility. I always use protective sex. I always do. You know why? You're your own (laughs) contraceptive. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) No, man. You last longer. Because it's slightly desensitized. There are special yeah, condoms designed for that, aren't they? Where they numb numb the... uh, Do you remember there is that famous bit? I say famous bit. There's that really funny bit in Curb Your Enthusiasm where he puts that numbing condom uh, condom on the wrong way around and it numbs her <laughs> vagina instead. I totally forgot that. Remember that one when she wakes up in the morning, she's like, I, ca- I can't feel anything. <laughs> but we're going back to virtual reality virtual sex. Virtual reality toys. sex. So this, this company called Virtual Dolls, they've come up with the ingenious idea of combining a VR, uh, VR headset mm. with essentially a fake vagina. But it's sophisticated. Is it a natural vagina or is it like a a real life li- life sex toy thing that has a vagina in it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't look. It's got no female form. Let's put it that way. It's essentially like a flashlight. I mean, at this stage, it's only a concept design, but already the demand for it is shot through the Men roof. Men are wanking over the concept. They yeah, you know, they, they did the Kickstarter thing, and of course, <laughs> they got like ten times what they initially asked for. Do you know what I mean? It was way more popular than they were ever expecting. But there's, the design of it is essentially kind of flashlighty, but it's a sophisticated, advanced flashlight because its features include Ooh, pray tell programmable pressure gripper so you can say I, I want her to be a really tight i want her to be really loose i want it to feel more like anal so, do you know what i mean like it, you can put in different settings like that it's also got stroke motion at variable speeds and last but not least it can even sense the strength of the male thrust so it can actually tell how hard you're thrusting into it. To think, I imagine they were designing this or thinking of this while sitting in an, a lazy boy chair with a <laughs> with a massage function on, just kind of going like, what if we had this and a flashlight? Yeah, well, let's do that. Let's link these two technologies together, lazy boy and vagina. But it's ingenious to go, look, VR is the future. It's going to be a big deal. And we're going to get the early adopters. How we're going to make this industry explode is through as, like, as usual, through pornography. I like the way you use the word explode. <laughs> no pun intended. Your pun was intended. <laughs> but everyone knows famously that's how VHS exploded. It took off. It was yeah. the porn industry. Well, yeah, porn is in everything. There, there is no piece of technology that hasn't had some sort of porn. I mean, the first thing any young man does that when he has any new device that is capable of displaying porn, that's the very first thing they do with it. I mean, I can I watch porn on this? I remember when they had those sexy pens, you click the top of it and the lady was naked. I remember coming back from Paris with about 20 of those and selling them at school. (laughs) (laughs) But do you think this will eventually replace? No, nothing. It's it's thousands of years of human evolution has trained us to fuck each other. Yeah, of course. There's always going to be the sexual desire there. That, Mm. I think, will never be completely eradicated. I think it will diminish... But it'll never be completely eradicated. I think, but I think we're the, heading towards a society 
where young women don't want to have kids until at least they're like late 30s, early 40s. Yeah. Men don't want to get married. They don't want to start families altogether. And that's the future, at least in the Western world. That's the direction we're heading in. And of course, no, I, there's I, only pleasure fucking left. There's no real procreation. Well, of course, there's people procreating. But like I say, 90% of sex is pleasure fucking. And I, I think it will eventually, because of the fear of STDs, because of the fear of accidental pregnancies, and because of the fact that men and women, they're not really pairing off in the mm. numbers that they used to 50, 60 years ago. This could be the future of sex. See, I don't know. Like For a man that uses porn, I think after years of doing this, I do understand the concept of where porn is socially degrading. Not to women or men like that. I'm saying to the people that use it, it it does make it harder to actually make a physical connection or mental connection with someone because you already have this automatic response from something you turn on whenever, when and whenever you want it. Hanging out on internet forums, right, where obviously a lot of young males hang out as well. Being able to approach a woman cold... You know, you don't know who she is. You've never met her before. You just approach her cold and ask her out on a date. That's becoming a lost skill. Some people have the gift of the gab. They're just naturally good at it. And some people, you it's something you require through uh, trial and error. But that, I think, is dying off. Mm, and but- it's people are going, heading towards, I like meeting people online because I get to know them a little bit first and there's less risk involved. Yeah, it gives it that buffer zone. Yeah. I truly think people are slightly fucked up or have no concept of how to talk to anyone. These VR headsets, this virtual sex, this is going to be the future. And then we are eventually, say 100 years from now, between, I'd say, between 50 and 100 years from now, we're essentially going to be like pandas. We're going to be sitting around. We're not really, we're not going to be pairing off anymore. We're not going to be forming couples or any sort of long-term relationships. There will still be a little bit of pleasure fucking that will lead to the occasional accidental pregnancy. But essentially, humans are going to be pandas. And then eventually, we're going to get to a point where there's no... There's no electricity. There's no civilization. Everything's just slowly falling apart because we just don't care anymore. You know how pandas just sit around playing with sticks? They just don't give a shit about anything. You mean you're going kind of idiocracy type thing? Yeah. I think that is where humanity is heading. (laughs) I desperately need... Relationships. I found a strange phenomenon with Facebook, right? I don't know. Maybe you found the same thing. There was an article you sent me, yeah. Yeah, but it's this is something I kind of found on my own that I've been thinking about the last couple of months. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that there are people offline, yeah. outside of Facebook, when you're having face-to-face interactions with them, you really like them. You really like this person. You think they're really funny. You think they're really smart. But then when you say so you like this person, you're friendly with them, you add them on Facebook, and then their posts start showing up in your Facebook feed, and you suddenly realize, oh my God, I really hate this person. I'm starting to despise this person. Outside of Facebook, I like them. On it, Facebook, I think they're a complete prick. Is it on par with, say, like, just the type of things they've liked, like movies and books and stuff like that? Or is it literally the stuff they're posting up? The things that pop up in your Facebook feed that they've posted. Yeah. So whether it's an article, a video, something yeah, like yeah, that, I or mean, something it, they're just shooting stuff out off of their brain and just putting their opinions yeah. up on their Facebook feeds. You start hating them. 
And then you think, well, hold on, outside of Facebook, I really like them. Why am I hating them on Facebook? Where's this disconnect coming from? But, I mean, like, all social media, I mean, like, I've got a problem with generally social media connecting as the concept of making connection with someone. Do you think it is actual connection? I think people look at it differently. They look at their own uh, social media stuff as they treat it like a diary. Like, oh, here is where I must post up my most intimate thoughts on the thing that I've seen that really represents or talks to me. And they don't understand how that is read yeah because i mean even it's sometimes it's just really innocuous stuff but you still oh god just just shut the fuck up do you know what i mean like yeah like the stuff i kind of don't mind and i kind of ignore is like i've got friends who are really into football and they'll send mm. me or, or they'll post up or sometimes send me stuff or link me into stuff going like hey this thing happened with my local football team and i go like you know what that's not part of my friendship with you so i, I can ignore that perfectly yeah. I, it doesn't really matter i don't need to do anything like that but you're right, there, there is stuff that someone will post up just kind of going like, I did not know how right-wing or left-wing you really are. And I also Ooh, know that... Oh, talk- he might be talking about me here. No. Is this no, a reference to me? No, I mean just pe- no, I mean people in general. Because I no. noticed this phenomenon a couple of months ago. Now, it could, could just be me. It might not be a real thing, but it might just be something I've invented in my head. But I started noticing this, and I started thinking, I wonder if I can actually get people on my friends list. I wonder if I can get them to defriend me just by posting things that I know they're probably going to be... Yeah, I know I'm posting things I know they're probably going to disagree with. And will people actually defriend me? But the fatal flaw in my experiment that I didn't consider is that you can change your settings. So someone, if I post something that someone doesn't like, say if I post something from like a right-wing website and I know left-leaning people on Facebook are going to hate it, they can just go, oh, hide things from Tom so I don't see any of his posts. And I'm sure that's probably what they're doing rather than defriending me. Everyone feels encouraged to give their opinion, to add in, to throw in their two cents, no matter how worthless those mm. two cents are like i find um whenever the topic of uh, islamic terrorism comes up yeah the only thing anybody contribute to this conversation is well not all muslims are like that well okay <laughs> thank you thank you captain fucking obvious yes we know <laughs> is that literally all you can bring to the table that's what i would call the lowest common denominator opinion mm. it's it's a widely it's a true statement and it's a widely believed widely held statement and it's, it's something that everyone can researched. easily agree with but it's fucking trivial it's, it's when you're in a gang of people and someone feels like, I haven't said something in a long time. I should probably say something. I still think I'm an idiot. But I think social media encourages that feeling of, I want to throw in my two cents. Mm. But most people's two cents is the same as everyone else's He's two cents. Valued. But social media encourages that. It doesn't encourage uh, lively debate. It doesn't encourage... No, it's shouting at each other because you're throwing your point out. And that's why I see everyone's talking past each other. Bringing it into your point about uh, editorialship, like editing, editing what I want to see or what I don't want to to see from this person have you, you ever, have you ever done that no no i mean they're, they're, with everyone i've got on facebook i don't edit people out yeah but i do set uh more prominent posts okay so if for you, example if you, if, if you post something say i've said this i'll read it but if it's like oh this funny video came up i just want to i don't i don't need to know what you liked have you ever had that experience well, of, I, mean, I like this person offline but on facebook i think they're a prick is it just me <laughs> no I've, I've got that with it but but then I work with a lot of uh, people that I don't like. No, people that I don't like. But you know what? I'm an adult. Like, how do you t- 
typically react I, to I, my articles. You know how I was, I was saying right. I'm trying to... I don't have to news. like everything about you, Tom, but I like enough about you that we can get along. Exactly. And I ignore a shitload, and you ignore so much about me, I imagine. It's mine, minor quibbles. And I've never seen... It's never happened with you. I've never seen mm. something come up in my Facebook feed from you that I'm just like, oh, fuck off. I did defriend a girl once when the Paris terrorist attacks mm. happened. And she she put a Facebook update status of oh well what about what's going on in Yemen why how come no one cares about what's going on in Yemen it's like seriously if you can't figure out why given our geographical location our proximity to France why British people might care a little bit more about French people than Yemeni people like <laughs> you can go fuck yourself and I was just like you know I'm not I'm not dealing with it I was gonna type out like a actual reply yeah yeah and I was like you know what she wouldn't read it she would just delete yeah you know you can delete what people post on your yeah wall. I know she that drives me it. insane as so well I was like you know what preemptive fuck you I'm defriending you I don't want to see your shit anymore do you know what I mean I'll still be friends with you offline I'm just I don't want you on Facebook though do you know what Mm. I mean did you feel were you like me when uh, the terrorist attacks in Paris happened and people started changing their Facebook profile pic to have the French like it was kind of like a watermark all the the one with uh, what's that guy that changed into a woman oh Caitlyn Jenner K- Caitlyn Jenner yeah like when everyone changed their ones to uh, just sweet Caitlyn Jenner no 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 they they changed their backgrounds to like a a, a multicoloured flag the, the gay flag oh there thing. was the gay marriage thing the gay yeah, marriage yeah, thing yeah. as well and the Caitlyn Jenner they changed it again yeah. that thing and like no fuck that the virtue signalling yeah that's basically that's, that is the next version of liking something you're passively saying I'm part of this but I don't need to worry about it anymore because it's got nothing but to it's do just, with me it's just showing hey look I'm part of the in-group here. Mm. Except me. I'm one of you guys. Uh, but I worried a little bit because so many friends of my uh, friends list had the French flag thing. Yeah. It's like, is anyone noticing that I've not done it? Like, is anyone <laughs> looking at going through their list and seeing who has the fr- uh, the French flag and then defriending those that don't? Because I, I know that happened on the gay marriage one. Did they, really? People went through and they were like, ah. They started presuming, oh, yeah. if you haven't changed it, that must be because you're against gay marriage. But of course, that doesn't necessitarily. No, it that doesn't. At all. It doesn't. Just because you're for something doesn't mean you're naturally against something. It's like you can be indifferent. I think social media uh, has changed the nature of friendship, uh, no, and it's bombarding us with this constant stimuli. Yeah. Look at this cat. Look at this dog having a bath, and it's just non-stop. If you laugh constant. at this. And my fr- and if I laugh, if I laughed at this, you'll laugh at this. And because you laughed at this, I don't need to call you or anything to speak to anyone because I we both connected still. But it's all lowest common denominator trash. Oh, yes. and it, what it's I think it's doing is distracting us from having human experiences. Like I went to the cinema the other night, mm. and for some reason there was a big queue coming out of the cinema, and I naturally felt inclined to ask someone, oh, "What's this? What's this big queue about?" There's norm- normally there isn't this big a queue. But I couldn't ask anyone because everyone was looking at their mobile phone. <laughs> and you feel like it's a kind of, oh, I'm, I'm interrupting them if I yeah. do that. But then an Irish guy came along and he didn't have a phone in his hand. I didn't have a phone in my hand. And we had that moment where we're looking around the queue, wondering what's going on. Our eyes connect and we're like, oh, hey, hey, what's, what's this yeah. queue about? Do you know what I mean? It's and nice. Have it's that, a, that idle banter is great. It's a little moment of humanity. Mm. And the only reason we could have that moment is because we weren't distracted by our smartphones. Uh, at my work, we get a lot of downtime in between jobs to do and stuff like that. And as soon as something like that happens, everyone grabs their phone and just starts staring at it. Straight and start away, no looking hesitation. at it. Yeah. And they're looking at Facebook 
and they're just looking through what's the next thing what's the new thing every time i get my book out to read a little bit of a chapter or something like that i get the oddest looks yeah, but what they're looking at is lowest common denominator trash you're reading something that someone's put a lot of effort into Someone yeah, trying I mean, to try to make it as interesting as possible. I'm assuming you're reading a book, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 being slut shamed basically by reading a book. <laughs> Do they think no, 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 you're okay. pretentious for reading yeah, books? Yeah, I get a lot of pretentious. I mean, I, re- I read a lot of crap as well. I mean, I'm talking like comedy books and stuff like that. Or because my big paranoid white liberal man fear mm. with social media and things like that is that all it's doing is, is encouraging conformism like you mm. say the way you're saying oh people look at me like i'm reading a book and i'm not straight on my mobile phone and they're looking at me like i'm an outsider essentially is what you're saying right yeah. so to me that's what social media my big fear is that it's just making us all think the exact same way Uh, this week, Jaime, what did we see at the cinema this week? What was out? They came out with The Big Short and Spotlight. Yeah, and that's the two films that we went to see this week. Both very in close in tone of film. Well, they're very, both based on true stories. Both they based uh, on true have stories. that in common. But filmically, they were shot roughly the same type of way. Mm-hmm. Faux documentary, almost kind of passive. Spotlight, to me, felt very, very straight, just to fill the audience in. Spotlight, yeah, Spotlight is the... Is at the Boston Edit- Globe. Yeah, an, an editorial group who do investigative journalism over a long period of time, they'll take a year over an article and they'll research it heavily. Basically, they expose the Catholic Church. For having paedophile priests. They keep calling in it... Boston, in Boston, isn't it? Or Yeah, they Boston, initially yeah. thought it was in Boston, but then it turns out it's basically it's a mm. global thing that's going on. And they uncover that the church is perfectly aware of the fact that it's going on. And uh, the moral of the story essentially is that this thing was able to pervade... The systemic because, thing. Yeah, because nobody was willing to actually talk about it mm. and confront it. I mean, it was very well acted. Everyone in it was on on top of their game. And the director, the, I love the director. Because uh, the director is Tom McCarthy. Tom McCarthy. He did The Station Agent. He did The Visit. He did uh, another movie with Paul Giamatti. All very emotional films. All very, uh, di- all very different style. I thought it was a real straight story. Mm. In the sense of it is literally just a chronicling of what happened. Perfect. From Chronicle. the perspective word. of the spotlight journalist. It felt a little bit to me. I came out of it thinking, do you know what? This was like an amazingly well done Thursday afternoon TV movie. I would agree. Totally. There was no pizzazz. No, no. Nothing stylistic or virtually nothing stylistic mm. about it at all and it is what it is and it's also showing the the generational feel to it this is a city it's also it tried to do say like what the wire did was tell the story of the city that comes the through the whole film yeah. is that boston and the church are very much intertwined mm. and it's very much a community feel everyone is attached emotionally to the city of Boston. Mm. And that's a big driving force behind yeah. why no one really wanted to talk about it, why they would bury their heads in the sand, is they didn't want to embarrass Boston. Mm. It reminds me of uh, that journalistic detective uh, genre, but that's not seen today. Detective stories like that are almost, th- there's a fallibility. We don't trust journalists anymore. Mm. And that's why this was quite different to come out. I thought it was a real straight story. Mm. In a sense, uh, normally in a, a film narrative, going into the third and final act, the end of the second act, going into the third act, is where our protagonists are at the lowest point where they're facing their biggest obstacle. 
hmm. and we have to see them get over that obstacle, right? But that that moment never occurs in this film. Nothing ever really gets in their way. They just immediately start start figuring out that the church, whenever they get someone who's, uh, well, I was going to say, accused of child molestation, when they know they're committing child molestation, the church just says, okay, we'll, we'll just hide you away for a little bit, and then we'll move you to a different church, and then you can come back into the fold, where they'll inevitably start molesting children again. Yeah, you're, you're right. They never, there's, there's hints in the mm. film where, oh, the, the church aren't going to like this. The church will stand up to this, and they never do. Because mm. who would you say gave the best performance out of Michael Keaton, Mark Ruffalo, Mark and Ruffalo. what's her name, Rose, uh, Rachel, Rachel McAdams? I, I mean, Mark I Ruffalo was the most uh, emotional in it, but almost kind of emotional flailing. He's like the heart of the yeah. audience. Yeah, the, the the man that gets angry at it, and he, and Rose... It's Rachel McAdams. Rach, uh, Rachel He's, McAdams I thought she is, was really, really good in she this. Was I've never seen her in anything else, but I thought she yeah, was great Ra- Rachel, Rachel McAdams was, was good in it, but everyone everyone toned down their acting in it. And I think they didn't let... They let the concept of the story be the major player in it. Because Michael Keaton is playing... I think he's like the editor lead editor. Yeah. yeah. And I thought he was... Uh, I thought I felt like he dialed it in a little bit. He was just kind of your normal Michael Keaton. He was at the where, end of his career, Keaton. Yeah, and where Mark Ruffalo, you felt like he was really into the character. He really got in this character's head, mm. and he changed all his mannerisms. He had a bit of a weird accent. It wasn't uh, quite a Boston accent. It was. I felt a bit weird. I can't remember. I think he'd moved from somewhere else and moved to there. I probably missed that. Or maybe part I'm of the thinking of it. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So, Tom, what did you think of it? I mean, out of, uh, I don't want to be bring it down to out of ten, but would you recommend it? That's the thing. Which yeah, I like. mean, I thought there were really strong performances. I think Michael Keaton kind of a little bit just phoned it in, mm. but Mark Ruffalo was extremely good in it. Rachel McAdams was extremely good in it. It was engaging. Yeah, but like I said, there's no thrills whatsoever. There's no plot twists. Well, there was a, there was a slight plot twist at the end. Spoilers, where there's a character in spotlight the main lawyer who keeps getting these priests off lightly yeah he keeps getting them so they don't go into a court they just pay yeah, the one the they one paid they, like a fine a reparation yeah, the one they had to uh, leverage into eventually yeah. giving in and then initially this lawyer is portrayed as just a total piece of shit right and then the twist minor minor twist at the end is that actually he went to the boston globe like 10 15 years earlier he went to michael keaton's character and said look this is going on i've got the name of 20 priests that are committing child molestation this is a big story you've got to report it and they buried it but that's uh, the only twist in the film do you know what i mean it's a mm, very very straight story but, I, but, but it is engaging i enjoyed it i think it's <laughs> would I, I recommend it mm. yes but i wouldn't pay it is like i say it's like a very well-made tv movie just wait for it to come out mm. on it, tv because um, coming out of the film, towards the end, there is actually a bit of a feel-good feeling. You come out of the cinema feeling good in the sense that justice there is still done. some justice in the world. So every now and then you can rely on journalists to do something good. They can be a force for good sometimes. Mm. And you feel a little bit uplifted by that. Okay. Although you feel absolutely disgusted by the <laughs> church, obviously. <laughs> Talking of movies that have you kind of ambiguous at the end of it, feeling good and bad at the same time. Yeah. We also watched The Big Short. Oh my god, no no feel good <laughs> sentiments coming out of the big shot. I I don't know. It was a movie that had um Well give give a bit of background what the big shot The Big Shot What does that phrase mean to anyone that doesn't have any clue? Okay, I'm I'm not too sure what it 
Yeah, I know it's about short-selling uh, stocks. Yeah. And short-selling is essentially where normally, traditionally, you think a stock is going to do well, you invest in it because you think it's going to sell better like a commodity. I buy the derivative. And you're going to get a profit. You're going to make a return on your investment. You're going to make a profit. Whereas short-selling is where you think a commodity, a service, or what have you, is actually going to go badly. It's going to tank, and you yeah. bet against it. So you're betting this is going to go horribly, and you make money from it going horribly. I mean, we're getting into a whole level of uh, economics that is over my head. But that's that's the point of this movie. It was designed to tell you a tale, uh, telling the tale of the 2008 uh, monetary crisis. 2008 monetary the housing crisis. Bubble. The housing crisis. And it's telling from the perspective of the bankers and the well, investors that knew something was up. Because the, they're not, then technically the four characters, the four main characters in the film, Yeah, the four people who essentially, who are first to recognise that the housing market is a bubble, it's superficial, mm. and it's going to collapse. And uh, Christian Bale, I can't remember the name of the character he plays. Christian Bale. But he plays basically a mathematician genius. And he's yeah. the one who recognises that all of these housing mortgages, they're all complete crap. They're worthless. Mm. And they're all going to tank in the second quarter of 2007. And he recognizes that in 2005, two years before anybody else did. He basically decides he's going to bet against something that economic states can't possibly ever go wrong. Mortgages Mm. is an industry that can't ever go wrong. And he's the first to realize it is going to go wrong. He's a guy who understands the maths well enough. And he can, he's such an autistic type character that he will just sit there for days on end looking at the numbers to work it out. He had the gumption to do something that nobody else would have thought of doing. Actually looking at the mortgages and figuring out who's paying on time, what percentage are paid on time, what percentage are paid three months late, six months late, how many people are defaulting. And he sees this impending doom coming. It's basically the story of like other other bankers and other investors like that who notice the trend independently. I mean, it's sold as they're all independently working this out. Yeah, but essentially Christian Bale is the first to get it. Yeah. Ooh, we should have mentioned Christian Bale's in it. Steve Carell Steve is in Carell it. Steve Carell in it, yep. Uh, also starring Brad Pitt yeah, who, and uh, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> who plays a smarmy... The, the type of caricature of what you think a tradesperson is back in the yeah, 80s, 90s. That's the person with the big shoulders and doing cocaine and everything like that. Highly arrogant. smarmy, yeah. Pompous, orders mm. people around, bosses them around. Mm. And he brings in another group uh, led by Steve Carell. They're, they're portrayed as a kind of rebellious. But- and uh, Steve Carell's character, the interesting about his character is he really hates the entire banking system. Steve Carell, he's a very cynical pessimist who thinks everything is just shit and that everyone's just getting fucked in the ass all day, every day. And he's desperate to get one back on the banks. He wants to land a punch. Mm. I mean, he, he's a character, he's the most rounded character in it. He's the one character out of the four main mm. who are betting against, they're essentially betting against the American economy. Yeah, but he's, he's the, the one, one you completely on his side. He's the heart of the film. Yeah, totally. He's the angry man shouting into the wind and kind of going like, but fuck it, I'll make some money as well. And the other two are just two young guys two working young out of a garage. Mm. And uh, they are just desperate to try and have what they call a seat at the table. They're trying to get in with the big mm. banks. And they have and that, a- of course, is before they realize that, wow, the big banks, they really are 
they're just pieces of shit. And yeah, they're, just they're lying to fraudulent. And they use their connection with uh, an ex banker or ex Brad Pitt trader. Yeah, who I thought I thought he was the letdown. Oh, he phoned it in. He literally totally. phoned it in completely. I mean, I understand he was going for a very drab mm. to the point. I'm I'm all just about the numbers. It's just a numbers game to me. That's all it is. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, he, he's his character. Like you say, was a former banker. He got sick of it. Mm. He's almost like where you imagine Steve Carell would have been that that angry character that just if Carell actually gave up. Or if move Steve on. Carell could break the cycle, yeah, and just stop doing something that he hates because yeah. he is in a sense addicted to it. Mm. Yeah, but uh, Brad Pitt is someone who kind of lost his faith mm. with investment banking and decided to drop out of it. But he has all the right connections for these two young guys who are desperate to get a seat at the table. Mm. Do, you, do you like... I mean, obviously, it's a very complicated subject matter. All this credit default swaps, mm. CDOs, bonds, all of this. is something that I mean, the this, layman can't wrap their head around. But the thing is, this movie was designed for the layman. Yeah, I got I mean, the it, feeling it was... Um, it it's kind of like watching a movie form of economics for dummies. It had these... In one sense, you can call them great little cutaways to kind of describe what these terms mean, this transaction or this major hinge of you're going to need yeah. to know what this means they made, to understand the next few scenes. They made with, use of uh, like they punctu- popular celebrities. Yeah, they punctuated with beautiful women and popular people and they dumbed down the concept of it. And to be Did honest... Did you like that? No, it pulled me out of the movie. I didn't like... I felt like I was being insulted in the sense of, oh, you can't possibly keep up with this. So we're going to have to give you some like flashing images. Yeah, and titillation to keep you interested. And it's like, no, no, no. The, the subject matter is in... It's mm. Not only is it oh, intriguing, it's massively important that people try and figure out what happened to... Yeah, it, it, it basically treated you like an idiot. It was saying, hey, you, you won't possibly understand without this colourful explanation to it. Because mm, it was directed by Adam McKay. Mm. I like and I got Adam the McKay. feeling. I got the feeling he was like, Do you know what? This is such a complex situation that the average layman who mm. hasn't had any economics teaching or training, mm. they're not going to be able to understand it. I'm going to have to keep them interested. They're going to get bored every few minutes. They're going to get bored, and I'm going to have to keep injecting things into this to make it interesting. So I'm going to have to. One thing I didn't like was the choice of music for the soundtrack. I it kept don't... it kept pumping in music at weird times, and it was. Oh, I felt like it was being yeah. done just so the audience would go, "Oh, I like that song." I know Niles Barkley. I would drive me crazy. But it was also, the, the punctuation <clears throat> of the music would also they would speed up the editing as well. Mm. It would be slow, longer scenes, and then it would be boom. We have to do this music sting, and there would be faster editing. Yeah, whereas five, six frames of shots. Yeah. And Adam McKay, he comes from comedy. He's a comedy writer, director. It's a very- Funny, yeah. funny oh, song. it was humor. It, it was humorous. It was definitely humorous. It was punctuated with dark humor mm, because yeah. you know the ultimate joke is on us. I mean, I also feel like it's on the other end of the spectrum to say where Spotlight was, which was a dry, almost faux documentary. Whereas this was also a faux documentary feel to it. Yeah, and where more comedic though. Yeah, more comedic, more. Uh, edutainment kind of get back to the story because we're saying brad pitt dialed it in whereas contrast that with uh steve carell who i thought gave it a fantastic i thought he gave a really really good performance way better than i was expecting of him like he wasn't playing steve carell he was playing he was actually being the character as opposed to yeah 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 but um he steve carell he really hates i mean he pretty much hates banking altogether like he's very cynical extremely pessimistic he thinks the banks are really just out to uh, screw over the average American. So, I was so he's desperate 
to land a blow against the big banks. Mm. And this, when this uh, Ryan Gosling going around to the big banks, uh, Goldman Sachs, AIG, Stanley Morgan, and they're all telling him, you're crazy, just go away, get out of our office. But when he arrives at Steve Carell's office, and Steve Carell, he thinks he's seen a way I can get one back at the banks. But the thing with this movie as well is none of these characters are heroes. None of them stand out and say, this is what's happening. They're all waiting for the payoff. They're all waiting for the crash to happen. And then to go, we were right. I think Steve Carell was the one. By the end, Steve Carell was the only one who comes across. At the end, he's the only one that you're still on his side. You're still on his side because his decision demands, uh, if he actually sells, he destroys the bank. And if he doesn't sell, he doesn't make any money. And that's he invested a shit ton of his own money into it as well. So he has to. And he's got other people with him. Because there's a moment where Brad Pitt, uh, there's a moment where the two younger guys, they're really excited. They're realizing, oh my God, it's actually happening. This crash is happening and we are going to make our like absolute bandits as a result of it. Mm. And Brad Pitt turns to them very sternly, very tersely and says, don't you get it? We are betting against the American economy. We are, we are actually hoping that people lose their jobs in the hundreds of thousands, that businesses tank and go under, that people lose their savings, they lose their houses, they end up homeless. We're betting, we're hoping this actually happens. And that's the moment you realise, yeah, there are no heroes here. You're right. But it's not real. It's not that story. It's, 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 it's not. We're, we're still rooting for the greed is good, but we're seen from the other angle of it. Like the event had to happen. Yeah, but what you come away from, from this film, the bit at the end where they get Christian Bale's predictions comes true, mm. the housing market collapses. Uh, was it Goldman Sachs? No, Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers. They that had was to go, Lehman Brothers, not They had to go down. Yeah. They got wiped out. But there's a very there's a bit right at the very end where it, I don't know who is it Ryan Gosling I think it was Ryan Gosling the rating at that point where Ryan Gosling is doing the narration and he says so um, yeah once the housing crisis happened and everything collapsed and there was a global economic catastrophe that's when we got the bankers and we threw them all in jail and we made separations between private savings and investment banking and then it's like oh no no wait obviously none of that happened and everything just carried on as normal Mm. and so you're told right at the end of the film the film takes i think two hours to get across this idea that the bankers it's not so much that they're just complete pieces of shit they're just really greedy and they work in a system that encourages them to be really greedy because like i said at the end they make that point of actually what should have happened. Some bankers should have gone into prison. The banks themselves, they should have they should have been a recognition they're too big. They should have been broken up. There should have been a recognition that you need to keep people's personal, uh, personal savings away from investment banking. None of that happened. And it's infuriating. You come out of the cinema looking for a banker because you just want to punch him in the face, right? But this, right. Is, the, this is the epiphany I had in the last yeah. five, ten minutes of the film. I had this epiphany. I realized, you know, what the, you know what the greatest lie of the modern era is? Is that violence solves nothing. That is a lie. Okay. That is a lie. Okay. I had the epiphany watching the big short that, yeah, they did it all again. And do you know why? Because there was no consequences. Upheaval. There was no consequences to their action. They never had a comeuppance, the bankers, right? 
had some of these bankers had some of these bankers be found laying face down on the ground on their front lawns with their throats slit had some of them been found hanging from lampposts you they wouldn't be doing it again they'd understand you know what actually this is a really really big risk if we do this again if we reinflate the housing bubble if we bring back cdos and credit default swaps which is essentially at the end of the film you're told that look the bankers they're doing it all over again they didn't learn their lesson had we made them learn their lesson like we're talking about america here right we're talking about we're a country where nine-year-old girls get shot for just being in the wrong place at the wrong time and nobody shoots the bankers next week there may be a podcast next week there may not be but look it's not the end of the tom dick and hyman show of course we're coming not back the end. you can't stop us we're always going to be here we're always going to be expressing ourselves however the hell we feel like it if you don't like it you don't have to listen like the banking industry in eight years time they'll make a movie about us with steve carell <laughs> it's irreverent it's cheeky Thank you very much for listening. Hopefully we'll see you very, very soon. And that's a goodbye from me, Tom. That's goodbye from Hyman. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.